0: Anybody at the Hollywood Bowl last night? How sad. How sad. I don't even think I'll talk to you about it. Thursday, my son, my middle son Roger, called up, and somebody had uh, come by his shop and blessed him with two tickets to the Willie Nelson concert. And so we went and heard Willie and the L.A. Philharmonic. Now, what is—you uh, didn't think the two could co- coexist, did you? But uh, Willie was there with his uh, the L.A. Philharmonic, and they played about 30 minutes. And then they went off stage, and his family band came on stage, and he played for a couple more hours. We had a lot of fun. First of all, just being one-on-one with Roger was great fun. We talked half the night after the concert, and then, uh, but just seeing Willie again—I hadn't seen him since I lived in Chicago. We used to go every year to hear him play. And uh, 71 or two years old, he's still going strong. The announcer said that he has produced, uh, they gave all, you know, he's been received every recognition he can receive, but the announcer said that he's produced 341 CDs or, uh, you know, albums in his life, which is astonishing. I mean, that's amazing when you think about it. Anyhow, I can see you're not a Willie Nelson crowd, forget it. Um, I'm sorry. We are going through the book of Ruth, and I've challenged you to read through uh, Ruth at least twice a week. Read through the whole thing. It's four chapters. Read it twice a week for the month of September. We're going to have four uh, sermons or messages from Ruth from the book of September, and today is chapter two. Last week we talked about loyalty, and these are uh, messages are available on an audio file on the website if you want to listen to one or if you miss one, or Larry can get you a CD of one as well. And I encourage you to follow along. Now, next Sunday, we're going to take a break from Ruth because I have a, another very special sermon. So uh, we'll take a break from Ruth for that week. But we're going to go through the four chapters of Ruth. Uh, actually, we'll soar a little bit in, into October. Boaz climbed into his Ford F-250 pickup truck and headed out to the fields. His cell phone rang several times on the way out as he listened to talk radio. It was the office letting him know the current market prices. Then there were always the questions about workers, who showed up, who didn't show up. The harvest was going full force, and like every year, it was a race to get the crops done before bad weather. As Boaz rolled onto the fields, he smiled. Boaz loved harvest season. Crisp mornings, gentle breezes, the light seemed just a little softer. The air from summertime was cooler. Boaz loved harvest season, the freshness. Life was good. The door shut behind Boaz as he scanned the fields as he got out and walked toward Solomon, Solomon, his foreman. Solomon had been running his crews for years. Good morning, Boaz greeted the first worker he saw. As he came upon Sarah, he stopped and asked, How's your boy Joshua doing? Now, tell me again, what grade is he in? It was ten minutes before Boaz actually got from the truck to Solomon. How's it going, he asked. Solomon updated him on the harvest, and as he did so, Boaz noticed a stranger. How could he not notice her? Even from a distance, she stood out, her raven black hair, Her pearl-colored skin. Then, too, she was off by herself, alone, nervously gathering grain. His eyes lingered on her. She seemed unsure of herself and kept glancing over at the other women. Boaz's chin went up as if pointing at her. Who is she with, he asked Solomon. Who? Oh, her. Oh, she's with Naomi. You know Naomi. That is the Moabite woman who came back with her. She showed up this morning and wanted to glean in the field behind the reapers, so I said, why not? Sure. She's been out there all morning, hasn't even taken a break. <laughs> I don't think she's ever worked a field before. Look at her. But I'll give her an A for trying. After all, she is a Moabite. <laughs> what do you expect? Boaz nodded and kept his eye on her. When his business was done with Solomon, he walked over to where the young woman was standing. She felt him approaching but never looked. She only saw his feet. He spoke with the authority that comes from a person with position, power, and privilege. But there was tenderness in his voice. My daughter, he began, you are in the field today, in a good field. Stay here. But you need to work closer to the other young women. Stay right behind them. And also, I've told my workers not to bother you. I've already talked to the young men today, so you're okay. Stay here in this field. And by the way, if you need any water, it's over there. Just go get it. Really, it's okay. You can have some water. Ruth could hardly believe her ears. She fell flat down on the ground with gratitude. Why should you be so good to me? especially me, since I am a foreigner. Well, I know Naomi, and I've heard about all that happened to her. So I know about you. I know that you've been good to her, even leaving your own family for your mother-in-law. May the Lord reward you. You are now in Israel, and you are under the wings of our God. As if that wasn't enough, at lunchtime... Boaz found her again. Come on over here and have some bread and wine. He gave her more lunch than she could possibly eat. And as if that were not enough, while she was eating, Boaz brought over more grain. She felt her face grow hot as he poured the grain into her bag, and all eyes were on her. That day on the way home, Ruth's head was spinning and her heart was happy. She had left Naomi that morning with a knot in her stomach and fear in her heart. What would she find in the fields? Would she even get any grain? What harm might come to her? What would she have to endure in those fields? She was well aware of how everyone felt about Moabites. But now she almost skipped for joy, except she couldn't skip for all the grain she was carrying. What a day it had been. Arriving home, Naomi's eyes widened. They widened when she saw all the grain that Ruth had gleaned that day. The house was buzzing as Naomi asked all about her day, and Ruth told her everything that had happened. Ruth hadn't seen Naomi smile like that since she couldn't remember when. Blessed be the man that showed kindness to you, said Naomi. Blessed be Yahweh. That night, as Boaz pillowed his head, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep because his thoughts were of the dark-eyed beauty from Moab. And across town, another person couldn't sleep. Her heart was filled with joy, with thanksgiving. What a wonderful day she had experienced. God had helped her. She and Naomi had food plenty of food. This ancient story from the book of Ruth is a great story. And it's been recognized in many ways by many communities. And as the community of faith has read this story down through the centuries, they've heard God's voice speak to them. And so we still have it today, a story well over 2,000 years old almost 3,000 years old, perhaps, the story of Ruth. And I think if we will go back through the story, and as you read it, you can hear God yet speak to you in a variety of ways. As we're together today, I want, to, I want to offer to you some takeaways, some things you can walk home with from the story of Ruth, chapter 2, that are going to help you. So I want to go back over it, not literally verse by verse, but to go back over Ruth, chapter 2, and What are the takeaways? And before we do that, I want to alert you to something. This is a common story. It's an ordinary story. And don't miss that. There's nothing special going on here. It's a common story. I say that because it's just a story about a man and a woman. It's a story about someone on their first day at work. It's a story about field workers. It's a story about a boss. It's a story about a person of privilege and a person in poverty. It's a story about someone on the inside and someone on the outside. And it's also a story about compassion. And I'd like to tie things together today with two words, hearty compassion. Hearty compassion. When you die, you will die, you know. When you die and the preacher stands up to talk about you or your friends stand up, are they going to think of you as a compassionate person? Would they dare to say, she was a very compassionate person? Or would they describe your compassion as hearty compassion? Last Sunday, we left Naomi, and you recall she had gone out from Bethlehem, her home, to Moab to find food. She went out with a husband and two sons. She came back to Bethlehem, and the chapter ended last week, with, Bethlehem, with um, Naomi returning to Bethlehem saying, Don't call me Naomi, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. And people hardly recognized her. She came home empty. And that's where the chapter ended. You've had a whole week to sit with her bitterness. Now, the story picks up again, and though it's called the book of Ruth, Naomi is mentioned a lot, and she begins this chapter as well. And uh, we're introduced to Boaz. And in the middle of verse 2... There's an expression that the writer uses that goes like this. I'll read verse 2. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain behind someone in whose sight I may find favor. Now, you may know this, but the poor in those days had permission legally to go to the fields after they'd been harvested and pick up what's left. They could have it. And the owner of the field was not allowed to go twice over the field. He had to leave a little bit behind. That was the welfare system. So she could go to a field after it was harvested and hopefully find something. That's what she was going to do. So she says uh, she's going to go, and Naomi said to hers to go. But here's the line I'm looking for. In verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite has said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and glean some grain. And then in verse 3, So she went, she came and gleaned in the field behind the reapers. As it happened, she came on the part of the field belonging to Moab, to, to Boaz. Now, that phrase, as it happened, is what I want you to underline. And uh, I want to share some takeaways or gleanings here. And the first one is, look for God, observe everywhere. Be observant. Again, we're starting a common little story about a man and a woman. And the writer says here in, early in the uh, story, as it happened, or as one expression puts it, as it turned out. Now, as he said that, do you think he's saying the following? Perhaps he's saying, well, you know, it was just sheer luck, but Ruth landed in Boaz Field. Or is he saying something like, you know, the strangest thing happened. I can't figure it out. Or is the writer actually tipping off us as the readers, pay attention now, something good's coming, and I think it's the latter. Are you with me? Uh, As the reader, you and I are to catch a clue that something may be up, not only something, but someone with a capital S, God may be at work here. As it turns out, she ends up in this particular field. Now, some people like to use the word "God sightings" or um, where they've experienced God, and I want to I want to pause here and encourage you that if you're a person of hearty compassion or a person that follows God at all, we need to be observant for what God's doing in our world today. Now, I'm not talking about somebody who lays on their back and looks at the clouds and says, "Oh, there's the face of Jesus." I'm not talking about getting weird like that. There's none of that in this story. But God is certainly in this story. And the writer and Christians and Jews have observed God there because this phrase, as it happened, is to signal us, hey, something bigger than just Boaz and Naomi and Ruth is going on here. And so I simply want to alert you to be aware of the common things in our lives that have uncommon results or the ordinary aspects of life that turn into extraordinary events. That's, that's all that I'm saying here. Be observant. For example, as I was thinking about this takeaway from the book of Ruth. As a teenager, and we won't get into all this, but I went to four different high schools because my mother did not want me to go to the local school in the Ozarks, so I was shipped off. And uh, my last year, I came back home to school, but I couldn't go to that small school because there was no football team it was so small, and I wanted to play football, so I went to Clinton High. I went through all the summer practice. I had saved up my money and bought a 56 Chevy, And drove up there 30 miles every day to Clinton. Well, just as school was starting, the motor blew up in my Chevy. And so I couldn't get to Clinton High. I had to go to the local school five miles away, which had no football team. As it happened, there was this cheerleader there. Mm -hmm. And they had a great big basketball team, and she was a cheerleader for the basketball team. Now I can't play basketball. I didn't even try. But as it happened, there was this cheerleader in the senior study hall class that I went to who took notice of me when I showed up, having come from Clinton and formerly from New York, to school there in Warsaw High. Now, if you're visiting and you don't know the rest of the story, I'll tell you. that was The cheerleader's name was Joyce. She's now my wife. We've been married a long time, have three kids, on and on it goes. As it happened, I sat down in the study hall class, and somebody noticed me. And I don't want to say any (laughs) more. A common event with uncommon results. An ordinary occurrence with extraordinary results. And so this morning as you look at this story in chapter 2, I want you to think about how observant are you of observing what God's doing in your life and in the lives of those around you. That's the first uh, takeaway or the first gleaning from this story. The second one is this. Let's move on. Say yes to God. This is obedience. Say yes to God daily. Now, I'm not going to push this point, but I think that Boaz was a man of obedience. He knew how to say yes to the Lord. In uh, the book of Matthew, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and he talks about love. And you know the verses. You can read them there. He says we are to love God, and we are to love our neighbor. And he's drawing from those Old Testament texts. And I want to talk to you about whether or not you're a person of hearty compassion. And Boaz is such a great example here. What a blessing Boaz was. In chapter 2, verse 4, as Boaz drives up in his Ford pickup truck, you can see it there, um, he gets out of the truck, and what's he do as he goes through his field? He greets the, he greets the reapers who are gathering the grain. He says, the Lord be with you. It's like our good morning, good day, how are you doing this morning? And as you read the verse, as he goes on, he says, the Lord bless you. Now, I want to lift up three things that people who are compassionate do. First of all, like Boaz, they see people. They see people. And secondly, they speak to people, and thirdly, they serve people. It's really easy if you're the boss and you've got all that pressure. You say, "I got to get to Solomon, then I got to go to the next field. I got to get my work done." And you're just going down through it. You don't see anybody. There's Solomon. How are you doing today? How's the field? All right, I'm out of here. You know, I'm busy. Don't bother me. Anybody ever been there besides me? Come on, help me. Dan and I, Christina. Okay, thank you. I know the rest of you are more compassionate, like Boaz. But Boaz is going along, and he sees people, and he says, How are you doing today? Everything okay? How are you? You good? All right. And he, he takes notice and takes time to speak to his workers. And I want to encourage you um, to think about this. Let's go to that next slide if we could, Christian. To think about this. Do you see people? Do you speak to people? And uh, do you serve people? I got ahead of myself. Uh, don't go to that slide yet. Thank you. Um, yeah, we yeah we need the obedience slide up there where it says see, speak, and serve people. It'll get up there eventually. You've got the point. Um, speaking of obedience, the, did you hear about the, the Baptist preacher that wanted to get a pet? And his wife talked it over, and they said that we need a dog. And he said, well, you know, this is a really conservative Baptist church. We'll have to get a Baptist dog. And so they went to look for a dog and uh, went to a bunch of kennels. They finally found a... A kennel owner who said, I've got a Baptist dog. And he said, really, how's that? And he said, well, let's watch. And so he brought the dog out and he said, dog, fetch the Bible. And the dog went over and got the Bible. The preacher said, that's pretty good. And he said, oh, that's, that's just the beginning. And he said, turn to Psalm 23. The Bible, dog lays the Bible down. He moves the pages with his paw and he goes to Psalm 23. And the Baptist preacher and his wife are beaming. And he said, I'll take it. And so they go home and they're showing this dog off to lots of people. And, of course, there's always one in the crowd, you know, one deacon who just is going to come at the life sideways. And so he's not impressed with this Baptist dog. He says, yeah, that's pretty good, but can he do normal dog tricks like, you know, uh, lay down, roll over, and heal, and that kind of thing. And uh, the preacher says, well, I never thought about that. I don't know. Let's try. He says, heal, heal. And the dog jumps up on the table and puts his paw on the preacher's (laughs) forehead. And the wife lets out a gasp and says, oh, my goodness, good Lord, we've got a Pentecostal dog. (laughs) Anyhow, thank you, David. Uh, What are we talking about? We're talking about obedience and uh, compassion. And compassionate people do three things. They what? There we go. That's the one I want. They see, speak, and they serve other people. Now, before we leave this point about compassion, um, we're talking about obedience to the Lord, and you're thinking about are you a compassionate person or not? You can't give what you don't receive. You can't give what you don't have. If I ask you for twenty dollars and you don't have twenty dollars, you just can't give it to me. And that's also true emotionally. And sometimes we as pastors and teachers we push and push people. You need to love, you need to be compassionate, you need to be kind. But if you haven't felt God's love in your heart, if you don't really understand you are loved by the Lord, if that somehow hasn't permeated who you are, I don't think you're going to be a very good lover of people. Now, is anyone wearing a cross? You have a cross on today, okay, Christina? Why do you wear a cross? No reason at all. I just think it, it helps me along the day to look at it. And it okay, it, it's a reminder. It helps you. It encourages you. Anybody else wearing a cross? afraid to admit it now. Noah, why do you wear a cross? It's a long story. It's a long story. A woman coming from South America to Japan to the plane to the A book was starting in South America. She gave it to you? Let me repeat that. A woman was going from South America to Japan? to earn money for a family who was starving back in South America, and she gave you a cross, okay? It reminds you of that. Good. The cross ought to remind us, uh, it does all of these things, and it reminds us all of Jesus' death on the cross for us, which is a symbol of God's love. And I, I want to encourage you to be a compassionate person, but first of all, have you received God's love? Do you understand how much God loves you? Do you know the incredible love of the Lord for you? And if you don't, then I encourage you, open your life and say, God, I want to be loved by you. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe in him. And allow God to pour his spirit of love into you to give you love, and then you'll be able to go out and be like Boaz. You'll be able to love others. But I think if you haven't received that love, you're not going to do so well at loving others. So uh, another gleaning from this story is to learn to be obedient and... uh, To learn to receive God's love and then share that love with others. Now, what's another learning? You've seen it already. Learn openness. Learn openness. Uh, If you are truly a lover, and if you truly are loving God, you're going to have to be open to what God does as you observe the world. Uh, Boaz asks the man in verse five, "Who's this woman?" Now, there are two things I want to lift up. Two words. She was from where? Moab, and she was a foreigner. Now, Bethlehem, if you've lived in a small town, you understand this well. If you grew up in Pasadena, you don't understand it at all. Everybody knew everybody from Bethlehem. And you were either from Bethlehem or you weren't. Now, you may have moved there and lived there 20 years, but that didn't mean you were from Bethlehem. You were still an outsider. It's always like that in rural communities. And so she's an outsider, and she could live there the rest of their life, but she's always going to be an outsider. I My parents lived for 20 years in Missouri. I was always that boy from California. Didn't matter, I was practically, you know, I was practically a baby when I got there, but you're that boy from California, or New York, depending on who I talk to. Now, that's the way a small town is, and so first of all, she's an outsider, but more than that, she's not even from Israel. She's from Moab, for God's sake. How did the Moabites start? Well, you remember the story of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? You remember that story, you know? Lot escaped. His two daughters escaped. The place was destroyed. The girls were worried. We don't have a family now. We're not going to have children. We're not going to We're going to be, you know, our, our uh, lineage won't go on. What should we do? Well, let's get Gad drunk, have sex with him, and we'll have children. And that's how Moab came. That's a Bible story, sort of X-rated there. And so the Moabites were born out of incest. Imagine that. And not only that, when Israel came up out of Egypt, the Moabites wouldn't help them. And so there were several things that the Bethlehem people thought about Moab. Do you see the picture? Now, when Boaz goes to his field, he sees Ruth. She's a Moabitess. That's, that says it all. Oh, let her die in the fields. Let the guys rape her. Why would you care? She's a Moabitess. But he doesn't do that. And he's open to the fact that as God nudges him, go over there and say, Hello. This poor girl hasn't had a drink all day. Get her some water. Help her out. Take pity on this poor woman. Why? Because I think Mo, Boaz knew she was made in the image of God. She's a human being. And I may be a person of privilege, but I'm no better or different than she is. And he reaches out to this woman. And so I want to encourage you. Hearty compassion has an openness to the world and a trust in God. And I think Boaz had that. And then finally, uh, can you cut me some slack today? Okay, good. Thank you. Somebody's cutting me a little. Stay grateful. Appreciation. That's a word, right? Appreciation. You know, preachers are terrible people. We have to have it all lined up here. I don't know. There's some psychological term that will explain this. But, uh, you know, if you're going to be uh, all these things, open and obedient and uh, observant, you also have to be appreciative. Appreciative. That's a new word. Don't correct it. Observe, obey. Be open and appreciate. Um, two examples of this. When Ruth receives the favor, and it's another way of saying the grace of Boaz, it says she falls down on her face and she says, Thank you. Why are you so kind to me, a foreigner? And she's appreciative. And that's another dimension to love. It's easier, and I think Jesus said, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive, but we need to do both. Both. And people of compassion need to also be able to receive. And so Ruth is an example. She receives the favor, as does Naomi. They both are examples to us of hearty compassion, of gratitude. And I'm just trying to encourage you to have an attitude of gratitude. Grateful people, I think, are compassionate people, and compassionate people are grateful people. They just go together. And so you're going to be a person of appreciation this week, right? Right. I'm not familiar with this man, and I may be mispronouncing his name. He's a writer, and his name is John Phanestal, or Uh But I read a story by him that I want to end with. John says that when he and his cousins were growing up, they would go visit their grandmother in Kansas. And at nighttime, there was too many of them for the bed, so they all slept on the living room floor. And he said, at nighttime, as we would go to sleep, Grandma would come in there, and beginning with the youngest child, she would come over and rub the youngest child's back, stroke their forehead, and whisper something in the child's ear. And she went through and did each did that to each child. Now later, as John grew up, he turned away from his faith, got in with a different kind of crowd, and uh, ran that way for some time. But then as a young man, he came back to his faith, and he says this, He said, my sophisticated friends wondered why on earth I had come back to my Christian faith. And John writes, I never had the courage to tell them the truth. But the truth was, it was because my grandmother used to rub my back. Wow. The common becomes uncommon. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. Now, on your worship folder this morning, there's this outline. And there's some questions I want to conclude with. And maybe you would like to just, as we transition, think about these questions. And how would you how would you end it? I'm like Boaz, giving compassion. Where do you give compassion? To whom do you give compassion? How do you extend compassion? Do you see people, speak to people, serve people? I'm like Ruth, receiving compassion. I can accept compassion. And I'm like Naomi, praising God for compassionate people. I want to encourage you uh, to be a compassionate person. Mike, let's do this. I was really enjoying Great Is Thy Faithfulness. Could we just sing one verse of that, uh, whatever verse you like? Why don't the band come on up, and then Francisco is going to come and lead us in church life um, right after they sing. But let's just uh, stand for a moment and sing again this great song, Reminds Us of God's Love and compassion towards us.